is a pleasure to introduce today's expert, Cindy Goldrich. Cindy is a board-certified ADHD coach. She specializes in providing education, coaching, and support for parents, educators, and mental health professionals to help children with ADHD and executive function deficits succeed at home, in school, and in life. She received her Master's in Education and Counseling Psychology from Columbia University. She's the creator of the nationally offered Common Connected Workshop Series for Parents of Children with ADHD and the author of Eight Keys to Parenting Children with ADHD. She provides professional development workshops and presentations nationwide and serves as the parent coordinator for one of the CHAD chapters in New York. Again, we are pleased to welcome Cindy Goldrich. Cindy, if you'd like to begin. Thank you very much for having me. I really do appreciate it. And we're going to dive right in. So the goal of this workshop is to address issues such as having your child be an organized learner, an efficient learner, and of course, an independent learner. And I'm going to start with that independent learner right off the bat and share, with, share something with all of you that is a strong belief of mine, which is that sometimes we push that independence a little too quickly and that sometimes we need to balance that by looking at our child and seeing if they are response-able. This is something I do in my parenting work a lot. Is the child able to respond to the expectation that's in front of them? Sometimes we're so focused on where they should be that we jump ahead and we don't teach the skills with where they are. So I want you to kind of keep that in the background as we discuss the rest of these issues that we're going to discuss. I'm going to start with a very brief and very basic um, explanation about executive function. I'm sure some of you are aware of what executive function is but I know many of you may not be, and since I'll be referring to this a little bit, I do want to give you a basic understanding. The executive functions are the set of neurologically based skills that have to do with managing yourself and your resources. Basically, it's how you do what you intend to do, and all of us have executive functions. It's located in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, which is the last part of the brain to develop, which tells you that this is developmental. And typically, our brains are developed by about age 25 to 30. When I was teaching this years ago, I used to say age 20 to 25, but we really know now that it even takes longer. And we refer to this as the CEO of the brain, the chief executive officer of the brain. And you'll see that in a few minutes, because this is what's going to be coordinating all of the um, cognitive functions. The important thing to know when we have someone who has ADHD is that you could be up to 30% delayed in your executive functioning skills. So anyone who has ADHD, by definition, does have challenges in the executive function area. If you have challenges in the executive function area, however, that does not mean you necessarily have ADHD. But if you do have ADHD, you can truly be delayed. So if you've been, ever been wondering, why can't Johnny, he's in fifth grade, he's so bright, and oh my goodness, his backpack is such a mess, you may want to come back to this and realize, well, he may still be delayed in some of his skills. 
and I'm going to show you what those skills are in just a moment. But what I want you to keep in mind is that this can make learning and performing much more difficult and frustrating for these kids. And I always tell parents, you have to have a lens of, of the child. In other words, what's this like for the child to experience? In terms of the executive functions, I'm going to show you seven executive function skills. We all pretty much agree in the field on what they are, but people will show you, you know, sometimes five, sometimes eight, sometimes nine. Unlike the DSM, which clearly defines what ADHD is, executive function is not in the DSM at this point, so there isn't necessarily agreed upon structure. The first one is initiation and activation, and that's just the act of getting started. And you may notice that your kid has a hard time sometimes just getting started. And one of the things we sometimes do as parents is we say, come on, you know, it's time to get started. You know what to do. But here's the analogy I always make. If you have a child who's in fourth grade and you've been teaching this kid how to read since kindergarten, and maybe he's been struggling and you've been giving a lot of extra skills, you know, a lot of extra tutoring and a lot of extra training. By the time he's in fourth grade, if he's not able to read, you would never think of saying to this child, come on, Johnny, you're in fourth grade. You should know how to do this by now. Because we know that that is a skill. The reading is a skill. What I want all of you to realize is that these executive functions are actually skills. So if someone is deficit in a skill, we can do one of four things. We can educate, we can support, we can accommodate, and we can modify. And I'll say that again because I know some of you may be writing this down. When someone's deficit in a skill, you can educate them, support them, accommodate, and modify. Um, Initiation is just that act of getting started. If someone's having a hard time getting started, there's, there's a whole lot of work we can do on that. But just basically, one of the things you're going to want to do is help them develop a structure. And what, the other thing is help them develop a routine. So those are really good things to step back, realize where are the problems, you know, what's the pattern of behavior that we're stuck on. Let's develop some structure and routine. Next, we have focus. Next is planning and organizing. And of course, to plan and organize, you have to have a sense of the future, which is a developmental skill. Effort, which has to do with your processing speed. Your processing speed is how quickly you can perceive information and relay it to the brain, both verbally and visually. Many kids with ADHD are, have a weaker processing speed. And sometimes it's much weaker. But what I want parents to always know, and educators as well, there is no relationship between processing speed and intelligence. You can have a very slow processing speed and be very, very smart. In fact, there's an article on my website um, that I wrote called How Fast is Smart? And my website, by the way, is PTS Coaching. And if anyone wants, I'm going to reference a few things. And if anyone wants some particular articles or things that I reference, you can always just email me. Um, my information will be at the end, but it's info at ptscoaching.com. So the next one is going to be memory, which is working memory. This is also an area where a lot of people with ADHD have a weaker um, executive function in this area. 
Your working memory has to do with your ability to hold on to information and manipulate it as you need to use it. Then we have action, which is noticing yourself in action. That's self-talk that you're using to guide yourself towards your goals. And last but definitely not least is going to be emotional regulation, which I know is a huge issue for many, many of the kids, being able to manage their frustration and modulate their emotions. And you'll notice now, um, whereas at the top it says the Center for Mental Control and Self-Regulation, you'll see I'm going to switch it now, and it now says the Board of Directors that helps you do what you decide to do. Because I believe that, and I have this hanging up in a lot of schools across the country, I think all kids need to see what their executive functions are and realize that we all have executive functions and that you are responsible for developing them. But if you're struggling in one of these areas, then maybe you can have someone help you get that manager some training is the analogy I like to make. All right, so now that we have an understanding about what executive functions are, let's dive into homework. The thing is, it's not always about the homework because the problem is sometimes kids come home and their emotional fuel tank is just depleted. They've done everything they can to keep it together at school. They come home and they are just done. Many of them do have a low frustration tolerance and as a result a lot of them feel a lot of despair. They feel helpless. They don't know how to make things better and they're not prepared with the necessary knowledge. Now, why would a kid who went to school all day is a good kid, he sat in class, and he looked like he was paying attention, why would he come home without the necessary knowledge, right? Mom wonders, you know, he must be lazy or not paying attention. But now, if you think about those executive function skills that I talked about, if a child has, let's say, a slower processing speed and couldn't quite keep up with all of the information, or if maybe their working memory wasn't strong enough to hold on to all of the things and they didn't get to write everything down. Not to mention that if they have ADHD and they have trouble focusing, right, trouble shifting their attention to everything else, they may come home just not ready to do their homework. And of course, some of these kids are fighting for their independence, especially those tweens and teens. So they need support, but they don't want to appear like they need it. So as a result, this is why you see some of the kids avoiding the task or rushing through it. It feels like an endless process, and some of them are just refusing. And that's when, unfortunately, we see the buildup of the anger and the anxiety and the depression that sometimes is going to go along with it. So I encourage you to see the world through your kids' eyes. Now, there's one more thing. I mentioned the executive functions. There's one more thing that truly impacts and I think it's stress. I think stress is actually the gatekeeper to learning because what happens is, here you go, here's your brain, and if you look on the right side, you'll see where it says the chief executive officer, the prefrontal cortex, that's where your executive functions are. So when the negative emotions come in, that increases the hormone cortisol, which is going to dull cognition. Think of it this way. The the stress is coming in and the CEO is shutting off. That prefrontal cortex turns off and the rapid reflexive responses of the amygdala, which is where your emotions are, that's the back part of the brain, that's the primitive part of the brain, that's what kicks in, that's what turns on. 
So in fact, what happens is the stresses come in, shut off the CEO, and the brain goes into survival mode. And what does the brain look like in survival mode? You've all seen it. Fight, flight, and freeze. And in my parenting work, my parents know, because I say this all the time, no learning takes place, no problems can be solved, and empathy for others becomes difficult when there is stress, anger, frustration going on. So I said sometimes it's not about the homework, but the reality is sometimes it's about the homework. We have to look at, well, what are the expectations on this kid? Is the amount of homework that they're given reasonable for your child's profile? And is the level of the work that they're being expected to do reasonable for your child as well? And is your child being expected to complete homework, um, schoolwork that was unfinished during class time? I talk to teachers all the time about this. Chances are the kid that couldn't complete it at, home, at school, it's because they've got some challenges, one of which may be their processing speed, the working memory. Chances are their homework is going to take them longer too. So by asking them to complete that unfinished work at school, you are creating an endless, endless, stressful, exhausting situation at home that just, you know, is never going to produce something positive. If it's a once in a while thing, that's fine. But on a regular basis, this is just not a way to handle the problem. So that's when you want to look at, does your child have an appropriate IEP or 504 plan? And is it being implemented appropriately? Now, the next issue is, of course, when should the kid do their homework? Well, let's think about this. Some of the considerations are, does the kid need a break after school? Now, it's very easy for me to sit here and say, you know what? All kids need a break after school. They just were in school all day. They're exhausted. They want to go play. They want to refresh themselves. But I know that one of the big reasons why parents don't want to give a break after school is, well, two reasons. One. How am I going to get them back to do their work? And the other one is, sometimes a race against the clock. Oh my goodness, their meds are going to wear off and I'm never going to get them to do their work. One of the things I encourage parents is this. You are better off problem solving around those two issues and perhaps giving them a break than thinking you can just push them through. Because usually, it's not going to be effective if we just try to push them through without that break. Some kids will do fine. Some kids actually feel better. Hey, I want to come home, get my homework done. I know I'm done for the day. But a lot of times it's our own parental anxiety that's creating that need to get homework done right after school. And we may want to evaluate that. So if they are going to take a break, then the considerations might be, well, how long? And what are they going to do during that break? And how are we going to make sure that that break ends? And that's a lot of work we can, we can do. Next consideration is going to be nutrition. Remember, some of these kids may be on medication. And even though it's not lunchtime, it's just snack time after school, they may not have eaten a lunch. So they may really need a full meal. And even if they're not on meds, they may just need a full meal. They're growing kids. Exercise is crucial. If any of you are interested in knowing the impact of exercise on the brain, you can read John Rady's book called Spark. It's an excellent, excellent book. Medi uh, medication, 
you may want to consider is is the med you know has it left their system by now do I want to give them a booster what are the concerns with giving them a booster are they going to be able to fall asleep are they going to be able to eat do they need a break and how much time do they need to actually complete their homework and I'm going to be talking about that in a few minutes and are of course are they going to need the support and then the big question oh and of course when is their bedtime so how much time are they going to have to do that work and then the big question is well how much say should you have in this and these are some of the things that you need to really consider developmentally um, you know it's not just what age is your child where are they in terms of their development and where are they in terms of fighting you for that independence? These are all the things we need to consider because I can tell you, you probably can sense it right now, I do not take just a top-down parenting approach. I take a much more um, strength-based and collaborative approach. In terms of parents providing support, well, what conditions are you willing to help them? If you are having some parenting battles, you're going to want to really have these discussions up front. Have they tried the problems independently? Did they ask for your help appropriately? Are they expecting you to do the homework for them? And are they expecting you to be available at all hours? Right? And is your child telling you at, at 9.30 at night, hey, Ma, I really need help studying for my social studies test? So they need to really think about this. And if you, again, go back to that concept of the executive function skills, we're always talking about how do we build executive function skills. One of the best ways to build executive function skills is to have kids use them. And you're going to use your planning and your organizing and your initiation, all of these skills, as you start to plan your homework, plan who you need help from, plan how much time you'll need, all of those things. The next thing is, are you willing and available to be present? And by present, I don't just mean physically in the room. I mean, are you truly willing and able to be there with them? Some kids actually benefit from what's called a body double. A body double is literally having someone else sit there. I tell teachers when I do the teacher trainings that sometimes when you send the kid to the back of the classroom so he can sit by himself to do an assignment, because you think it's going to be less distracting, sometimes it's more distracting for them. They actually do better when there's someone physically next to them. Even if that person is just side by side doing the same work, what I suggest to parents is you may want to just sit side by side with them and do your own thing. Because just being there can help them focus. If you cannot be there, maybe you want to hire a high school kid who needs credits for you know, honor society or community service or something. And does your child know your schedule in advance when they can rely on you? If your kid is used to studying with you on a certain day and that night you have, let's say, a parent-teacher meeting or some other schedule, they need to know in advance. And I strongly recommend that you put all of these things in writing so that there's agreement from you and from your child. In terms of making an agreement, the agreement must cover what is your role during, during homework. What will your homework be in terms of 
verifying the work being done, especially for some of the older kids who want to be more independent, they want to do their work on their own, you may want to still be looking in there a little bit and seeing if it's being done. And what's going to happen if the homework's not done as per agreement? A lot of teachers will say that they will prefer you just send your kid in without their homework done. If they can't do it, if they didn't do it, they tell you, you know, look, I'll handle it. The teacher says, I'll handle it. And that may be fine on occasion, but if this is a regular pattern, it needs to be proactively addressed. And what I have found in my practice is that sometimes the kids don't want to go in without their homework, right? Or if the parent is really helping the kids so much because they don't want to let the kid go in unprepared and they don't want the kid to be embarrassed or uncomfortable or they want the kid to really have the knowledge, if they're doing all of that and the teacher is unaware of how much the parent is helping, then when it comes time to maybe ask for services later on or to have that, that teacher really assess the child about whether they're capable of moving on, the teacher doesn't have a, a clearer picture. So I think it's very important that we include the teachers with that. You want to make a plan for writing a written schedule that includes activities, homework, personal obligations, as well as parents' commitments, and I'm going to show you my template of that. And you want to plan to review and reevaluate the plan every two weeks until you make sure everything's working smoothly. You want to have a date that you're going to plan, review this plan, because if you don't, guess when you're going to review it? When it's not working. So we want to head that off at the pass. So work together and then write an agreement down. But here's what I want you to know. Never let your relationship with your child suffer at the altar of homework. If you find you are battling with your child, your primary role has to be parent. And so if you are battling, that's when you can call in for help. Call in for parenting help, call in for tutoring help, call out to the school, whatever it is you need to do. You want to be able to have that relationship not be just about the battle of homework. Now, in terms of setting the stage for learning, I'm going to talk a little bit about how to organize the environment. In terms of what space do they work in best, you could have the most perfect desk and the most wonderful cork boards and all the perfect lighting and everything else, and your kid may not want to sit there. So it's not about what workspace works for you. It's, again, I have a very collaborative approach. It's about raising your child's awareness about what works for them. Because your job is to help them be ready for the real world. You want to help if they're going off to college or wherever they're going off to in the real world, you want to help them think about where they work best, where they're going to study best. You want to figure out how accessible and visible you need to be for supervision and support. Mo music, movement, and fidgets, these are all things that can help kids with ADHD. Uh, movement, maybe they want to stand up while they work. Appropriate fidgets, sometimes kids do do better listening to music. I know parents sometimes worry about that. There's a whole article I've written on my website called Can't You Just Sit Still and Pay Attention that addresses these issues. I don't have enough time to go into it now. You, of course, want to minimize the distractions. Snacks for energy, I think, are great. 
rather than snack time and then homework time, a lot of kids benefit by having the snack while they're doing their work. It actually helps them stay focused. Central closet for the supplies. I suggest at the beginning of the year, just buy everything for the whole year. In fact, I would even suggest if your kid's in a younger grade, I would buy stuff for five years because chances are you're going to go through it and your kid is going to say, Mom, I need a glue stick at 8 o'clock at night when they need that glue stick. So just anticipate it, have plenty of supplies, and at the end of the day, you can either give them away or sell them or donate them, whatever you need to do. Have a lot of visual um, lists and tools and a staging area. What is a staging area? In each room, there should be one central place that's a transitional spot. So let's say in the kid's bedroom, maybe near their door, that's always where the backpack's going to go. Maybe have a little table that has their phone and their keys, whatever, so that on the way out and on the way in, they always have a, a structure, a routine. Remember what I said about initiation. You want a structure and a routine so they know that's where those things belong. And then, of course, the question is, how much say do your kids have in all of this? This is all going to be done through conversation. Now, in terms of the daily plan for homework, as I said, I think you, you can have the daily plan on how the actual is really going to be, how the actual work is going to really be done. You're going to plan the time and the order for the homework. You're going to create the plan because that's going to teach these executive function skills. And the planning also identifies where there might be a problem. Maybe it's knowing the expectation or having the proper materials, understanding the assignment. All of those things, if we have a plan, we can start to problem solve. Now, one of the things I think is a great thing to teach kids is that time is like money. What do I mean? Let's say you've got a dollar to spend on your homework. Okay? Um, maybe tonight it's going to take me 30 cents to do my math and 30 cents to do my social studies, but oh my goodness, I have a science test. That's going to cost me 50 cents. You get the idea. They run out of money. If they start to look at an overall plan on how to manage their homework, they're going to be better off. And when I do teacher trainings, this is one of the things I talk about because we really need the teachers to help out with this as well. The teachers, if they could give the kids a sense of how long the homework should take them in that particular subject, it will help them be more better managers of their time. So it starts with a plan. And this is just a template. And again, I'm happy to send you any of the templates that I have. Um, you want your kid to look at their overall week. Every day may be different. Of course, there will be certain patterns. But they should be able to see where is that slot of time that I can do homework. Because if they start to put in when they're going to do their homework, then they can also start to see when they can have free time. And if they start to see that as a trade-off, then when they sit down to do their homework, they're going to want to complete it so that they still have that time later on for free time. Sometimes kids just start their homework and feel like, that's it, you know, my night's over, I'm never going to have free time. Now I'm stuck with homework, so they just, it just drags out for them. So we want them to have a sense of beginning, middle, and end. Without a sense of time and a tangible plan, this is what can happen. I'll read this cartoon. Mom says, Jeremy, it's getting pretty late, sweetie. And the teenage boy says, uh-huh. 
And Mom says, you've been at it quite a while this evening, haven't you? And he says, uh-huh. So what's this big report about? And he says, I have no idea. I'm still downloading the perfect mix of songs to play while writing a 12-page paper. With a little luck, I should be able to get started by daybreak. And so, of course, Mom says to, da to Dad, pass the antacids. And he says, regular extra strength or parent of a teenager. But that's really what happens. They get so fixated on that. You know, this is ADHD. The thing that interests them, right, like the cover of the report, they end up spending so much time on because that may really interest them. And then they run out of time for the really important stuff. So here is a template I have um, that I've created for doing homework. I always suggest use this for two or three weeks, or you may make this your whole agenda book. But I want you to look. Um, at the left side. Notice that on the left where it says math, it says, do you have the materials you need? If kids could just get in the habit of checking this off when they are still at school, because when do most kids figure out they don't have the materials they need? Of course, when they're home and doing that subject, when it's too late. The next thing is, will you need help? When do they figure out they need help? Very often, they're saving that subject that's so hard and challenging or boring till last, and they've run out of time to ask someone for help. And then, who do you need help from, and how long will you need this? I think this is really valuable, again, in building the executive function skills, because if they can start to think and plan who they're going to need help from, then they're going to have to work with that other person, and they're going to have to time manage with that person. They're going to have to maybe say, hey, Ma, is there a time tonight that you can help me with my science? Right? Rather than waiting until mom says, you know what, kiddo, I'm exhausted. It's too late for me. Now, notice in the center section, there's a whole area there for homework. And the next area says quiz, and there's a whole line. This is not meant to just write quiz in math. I think that every time a kid has a quiz, let's say the, the quiz is assigned on Monday and their quiz is on Friday. They should have a list of how to study for that kind of quiz. So if it's social studies and um, you need to study for a quiz or a test, there's lots of different ways to study. You can, you can do uh, flashcards. You can make a practice test for a friend and have them make a practice test for you. You can read over your notes. You can write over your notes. You can read over the chapter, etc., etc. If they have a list for each subject about how they're going to study, then when they have a test or a quiz, in each night leading up to that, they can write a task of how they're going to study. So maybe on Monday it's going to be review my notes, and maybe on Tuesday it's going to be do flashcards, etc., etc. So that's what that whole area is for. And then notice on the right side it says estimate how long it's going to take you, how long is the homework going to take you, how long is studying for the quiz, etc., etc. Now I've got an overall look at what my homework is. The next thing, and I'm not going to have too much time to talk about it, but again, I do have plenty of resources on my website for this, is something called the Pomodoro Technique. Now, the Pomodoro Technique is a real technique. There literally are um, support groups for it. There are apps for it. There are, is a book written about it. A Pomodoro is Italian for a tomato, and basically what what it is, is you think of a Pomodoro as a unit in time. So let's say it's going to take me, you know, I can sit and work for 15 minutes and then I really need a break. 
my Pomodoro is going to be 15 minutes. So I'm going to figure out what are the tasks that I can do in those 15 minutes. Maybe I realize I can do um, five math problems. So I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to do five math problems, and then I'm going to take a break. But my break is also going to be scheduled. It's going to be a five-minute break. It's not going to be a break until I feel like getting back to my work. What you want to do is really teach the kids about time on and time off and show them that if you really plan out your homework, you can, again, that beginning, middle, and end. And then you want to teach them to protect the Pomodoro. What does that mean? When I'm on my 15 minutes of work time, if I think of another thought, I'm just going to jot it down. If my phone rings, I'm not even going to look at it. Okay, I'm protecting that time. And then during that five-minute break, that's when I get to do those things. Or maybe I'm just going to do a few jumping jacks or I'm just going to clear my head because we know that breaks boost learning. It replenishes the chemicals in the brain. So rather than working until exhaustion and then not being able to get back to it, in fact, the article I wrote on my website was when I was training for a half marathon. I learned that when you're training to do a distance run, you don't run until you're exhausted. You run for intervals. You run for, let's say, five minutes, and then you walk for a minute, and then you run again and you walk. And it's the same thing with work. It's the same thing with doing any kind of mind activity. So I, I really encourage you to look into the Pomodoro technique. And the next thing um, in terms of this Pomodoro, I'll just show this real quickly because I want to get on to something else, is that you want to have it planned out all in advance so that they're literally seeing when they're done with their homework. Now, in terms of the computer, in this day and age, most kids, not all, but most kids either have a computer or have some kind of tablet. They need to learn how to use it. They're not learning enough. I find that a lot of kids do not have keyboarding skills. They're being given the Chromebooks. They need to learn keyboarding. And I don't mean finger pecking. I mean 10-finger QWERTY. Most OTs, occupational therapists, will tell you the kids are ready to learn keyboarding by third grade. They also need to learn how to organize their desktop, maybe making a folder for math and a folder for science. They can make a folder for, you know, after school studying. They can make a folder for everything I did this year or all my written assignments, whatever it is. They need to have the updated proper software to use. They need to know how to use that software. They need to really know how to make templates on their word processing program to make, you know, time more efficient. They can bookmark, bookmark the websites that they go to often. They can learn how to use um, some of the the features like the dictation and parents there are lots of things out there you can do to restrict their use on the internet to restrict them from using things like Facebook or snapchat or any of those other things so um, I know I need to wrap up so we have time for questions but I just want to get to two more things one is quiet time when um, Parents have newborn babies. They're always advised, you know what, when the baby is sleeping, that's when you're supposed to sleep. So what I would suggest is when your child is doing their homework, that may be the time of the day 
where everyone shuts off their electronics and everyone kind of does their quiet work. Maybe that's when you're going to pay your bills or read some book or something else that's a quiet activity so that they all get the sense of this is our work time. And then these are just some helpful mantras that I think would be really great for the kids to think about. Recognize your distractions and let them go. Kids are going to get distracted by things. The ch challenge is not to stop them from being distracted. It's to help them deal with the distractions. Let them float over them. Respect the timer. If you set that Pomodoro, right? If you set that timer and say, I'm going to take a break for five minutes, if you respect it, then you'll have your time at the other end. Because procrastination now means loss of reward. And I'm not talking about dangling that external reward. I'm talking about that internal reward of, I got done. Don't change the plan that you make because when you made that plan, you were calm, you were thoughtful, you were mindful. And if you, and this is more for the parents than the kids, if you've really been struggling and you feel like, oh my God, this hasn't been working, don't keep looking backwards. Look forwards. Start with wherever you are with whatever you've got. So this ends the formal part of my presentation. I know that there probably are some questions out there or some comments. I do encourage you to stay in touch with me. Um, I'm here if you have any questions you know, afterwards that you, that you want to answer. Okay. Um, at this point, Robin, do I turn it over to you? Yes, thank you so much, Cindy. So we will get started in just a second with our questions. So as a quick reminder, that question box is on the left side of everyone's screen and you can submit your question in and we will uh, begin right, right now. So um, one of our first questions is, we have a parent whose, whose son has a difficult time at the end of the school year, keeping motivated, studying, doing assignments, turning in their homework. So, so any suggestions to help a child stay motivated as the year begins to wind down? Yes, and especially when spring starts finally kicking in and, and spring fever starts and they know that it's, it's going to be ending. Yes, a few, a few suggestions. One thing, and I didn't get a chance to go over that, one thing I really like uh, parents to do with their kids is have an annual portfolio where they're keeping in their, their goals, um, maybe highlighting some of the, um, their favorite um, works of, of, whether it's works of art or art or, you know, essays they've written or test papers or whatever else. So have them have a sense of what their goals are for the year. So as they start to kind of drift off and feel like, oh my God, the year's almost over, you can talk about what are your goals for this year? What do you hope to get done? You can have them start thinking about what they want their next year to look like and are they prepared for that next year? What else do they need to know? And let them know that, you know what? It's great, you've been keeping at this level. What are some things you can do that I can do with you to keep you motivated? What are some of the, the reasons why you're drifting off and what's the work left to do? Great, thank you. Going into what you were talking about as far as breaks go, is there a suggested amount of time for breaks? Um, a parent is specifically asking, is five minutes long enough? It depends on what we're talking about and when this break is. If they're first coming home from school, 
then I would say, no, they probably need a longer break, maybe, you know, 15 minutes. I wouldn't let it be an endless break. Maybe even the break is going to be half an hour. More than that, probably I would not suggest. When they are doing the work, though, I would try to keep the breaks short, but I keep the work, you know, I would do those intervals. Maybe it's, you know, depending on the age of the kid, maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's 20 minutes of the work time and then the five minute break because five minutes should be enough to juvenate themselves. Now, having said that, um, in a classic Pomodoro, what you would do is you would work and then you'd have a five minute break, you'd work again, have a five minute break, you'd work a third time, have a five minute break, but actually at that, at that, after that third interval, you would maybe have a 20 minute break. So you're gonna scatter it that way. So you're gonna have a few bursts of energy, burst of work, and then a longer break. But it's trial and error, and every child is different. Again, collaboratively, I would work with the kid and say, let's experiment. Let's see what's working for you. Any suggestions for children who have meltdowns during homework? Oh, meltdowns during homework. Well, the first thing is, that's probably not the time you're going to solve the problem. And I know that that's really hard. I'll give you some answers for during that time. But if this is a chronic problem, then I would proactively be working on that problem. This is part of the work that you know we do as parent coaches, help you problem solve with your child around, I wonder why this is happening and what can we do? Maybe your kid's breaking down because we're starting work too soon. Maybe they need more nutrition. Maybe they need a burst of, of energy from exercise. But if they're having a breakdown in the middle, then sometimes being with them, empathizing with them, and taking the break with them so you can guide them back into the work, right? So maybe maybe take a walk around the block with them. Maybe, you know, go and have the snack with them. It's not rewarding the meltdown. It's saying, hey, you know what? If we can't get back to this calm place, we're probably not going to be able to move forward anyway. So those are the basic suggestions I would have. Thank you. Those are some great suggestions. Um, now, what about if with teenagers and maybe rather than having a meltdown, they get really angry when you're trying to ask, do you have homework or how much homework do you have tonight? Um, any suggestions for dealing with those teenagers? Oh, that's a great question, teenagers. You know, this is where the parenting skills and parenting knowledge really come in because we have to really look, is the, is the expectation on the child, the student, the teenager, reasonable? Is the kid's fight for independence maybe developmentally appropriate? By the way, I don't know if any of you know this out there, but the job of a teenager, if you say black, their job is to say white. That truly is their job. Their job is to separate from you. So parents get in trouble all the time because they come up with great ideas and suggestions and their kids say, well, I'm not doing that. Well, why not? Well, because it's your idea. So if a kid is really getting angry, I suggest that the parent start by evaluating what is the parent's role and why is the child getting angry. Now, if the child's getting angry, to me, that's the same as that meltdown. There's a lot of information we can really find out from that anger. Why, you know, we need to see that just as the behavior and what is underneath it. Why is he getting so angry? Go back over the beginning part of where I talked with this in this 
um, discussion now. Are the expectations placed on him reasonable from school? Is he prepared to do the work he is? Is he, you know, maybe depleted? Maybe he needs more of a break. So we need to understand that anger and help him problem solve around it. And again, I always like to see, is this a pattern of behavior or is this something that's just occasionally occurring? Great, thank you. We have a couple questions about estimating the time needed for the task. So any suggestions on how parents can engage their child in setting realistic time to do their homework assignments? Absolutely. Um, it's funny, I, I have a template that I didn't get to put in here because it was too action-packed um, to help parents figure out how, where time goes and to help children see where time goes. You want to really help them on, you know, get to see how long do these things actually take. You can set a timer with them, not for the idea of beat the clock, but to just do it over a week, let's say. In fact, um, I have teachers doing this now where teachers actually are saying, you know, they're, they're going on class trips through the building and they're saying, okay, guys, let's, let's have everyone estimate how long is it going to take us to get to the gym. And then they all walk to the gym and they see how long it actually took. So having that, and on one of the slides, I didn't get to talk about it, there's something called the time timer. It's a time timer. You can get it on Amazon and some of the educational stores where kids can see a visual sense of the passage of time. And that's another thing that can really, really help them. So setting, you know, talking at the beginning about, gee, I wonder how long this is going to take. Let's experiment this week. And let's just write down what time did we start and what time are we ending and doing this over and over around different things, even things like getting dressed and eating a meal, helping them become more aware, and also having more clocks around. Just literally having you know, a clock in the bathroom, a clock in the kitchen, a clock in their room, so they can get a sense of that as well. Um, what about for children who rush through their schoolwork during school hours and, and if that schoolwork's not finished, it becomes homework, but because they rush through it during the school hours, they never are bringing home homework. Um, any suggestions for that? So, there, uh, so in other words, it's becoming homework if they don't finish in school, but they're rushing through it just so that they don't have the homework? Is that what you're saying? Right. Yes, exactly. Okay. All right. So first thing is we need to collaborate with the teacher. Is the teacher feeling that the child is rushing through their work? They may not be. The parent may be surprised, well, you have no homework. Well, maybe they got it appropriately done at school. But let's say they are rushing through it for that reason. Then I think the onus is going to be on the teacher at school to help that child know how to break that homework down. Maybe one of the suggestions I make for teachers is instead of giving them the whole worksheet, if you find that they rush through it, give them 10 problems. And then when they finish those 10 problems, then give them the next 10 problems. Um, let them have a time timer in, on their desk and know that they can't go past a certain number until it's gotten to a certain time so that they really are learning how to pace themselves. Great, thank you. 
So what about if you're, we have a question about a teenager who insists on watching YouTube videos while doing her homework. So is it possible that something like that, like YouTube videos, might not be a distraction? Great question, and kids are very resourceful that way. Here's how I'd explain it, and it has to do with, is it their primary focus or their secondary focus? You may assume that it's their primary focus, meaning that's what they're paying attention to, but kids sometimes, and adults too, it may be on, but they're not engaging with it. It's really in the background. It's sort of serving that white noise purpose, right? Just like music. So what you want to do, I mean, I have a friend who's a Harvard professor, and he said when he was you know, writing his dissertation for college, he used to ride the subway and listen to music, and that's how he was able to work best. Now me, when I was writing my book, I couldn't handle a clock ticking. I couldn't handle any noise. Everyone truly is different. So it may actually be helping them, but the important thing is raising their awareness and saying, hey, you know what? You're telling me that's working. Let's, let's experiment. Let's see how it really works for a week of you doing it that way. And if you're really showing me you're able to get your work done okay, then I'm okay with it. But let's really see what's going on. So in other words, don't just assume from the parent's standpoint that this is not a good idea. My gut tells me if they're watching it as opposed to music, yeah, probably it is going to be a distraction. But we have to get their buy-in. We can't just tell them because they'll They'll just, especially teenagers, remember what I said, black, white, right? Their job is to just think that they know what's best. We need to challenge that. Great, thank you. I'm going to loop back to taking breaks. And we have a parent who is asking what happens during the break, whatever the child wants, or should it be something structured? My suggestion is, especially if you have a younger kid, you come up with a discussion about what should you do during that break. What are some helpful things? You may even keep a list of them. Generally, I would not suggest watching TV. Cause I would not suggest doing anything that they have a hard time transitioning out of, right? So a, a TV show, a video game, I would not suggest that those be breaks. If it, their break could be active, again, I recommend Exercise is always great. It activates the brain. Maybe it could be some jumping jacks, things like that. It could be a snack. It could be walking around. So it should be something that is, you know, discussed beforehand. What about working with your child to bring home all of the materials that they need that evening for their homework? Ah, okay. Well, here's the thing. By definition, ADHD has executive function deficits, and by definition, that means you're going to have trouble with planning and organizing. We never want to be punishing the disability. Remember what I said earlier. When someone has a, a, a deficit, we want to educate, support, accommodate, and modify. So if a kid is having trouble bringing things home, that means they need skill building, and that has to happen at the school basis. It's not that you don't want to work at home with your child, but you want to engage the school and get their support as well. So what does that look like? Maybe at home, you're going to problem solve with your kid and say, hey, where are you at the end of the day? Where do you write down your homework? 
what do you think is going on that you're not bringing this stuff home? I get it. I'm not angry at you. Let's just see if we can solve this problem. And then maybe there's something you're going to want from the school in terms of their support. I'm not talking about necessarily 504 and IEP. I'm talking maybe something as simple as the last teacher of the day, you know, goes over and just sort of taps their desk or, or has a little, you know, a little uh, card for them to just do the check off. And again, that's why I really like my agenda um, template because that's going to get them to really look at do I have the materials for each of those classes. How's this for a suggestion? I think that in every school, the last, you know, 10 minutes of the day, there should be a bell and everyone should say, okay, take a mindful moment, let's everyone think about, do you have everything you're going to need for the end of the day, right? And make a, make a quick list. And that way, everyone's learning a strategy and a routine. We, and we have so many questions that have come in. I'm just looking, looking through them real quick. Um, do you recommend a study skills class for children who have ADHD? Um, that's a really broad question. A what I find experientially when I, when I travel is that sometimes schools are giving a study skills class, but they're giving it, let's say, in fourth grade or sixth grade. And that is not necessarily helping them when they're in high school. Because if someone is not carrying that forward, it's not helping them long term. So that study skills, I think, needs to be part of every grade. If Again, I, you know, I, I go to so many conferences and I walk out of every conference saying the same thing, I can build a better school. Wouldn't it be great if the first week of school was all about, let's talk about how we're going to build everyone's executive function skills and how everyone's going to study this year. And you really made it about that so that they're really each year building and building and building on how to study, how to take notes, how to break down assignments, all of that. Great, thank you. We have a number of people who have asked about the templates. Are those included in the PowerPoint slides? Um, they're not, but if, as I said, if anyone emails me, info at ptscoaching.com, I'm happy to send you the templates. Just maybe put in the subject okay. matter, you know, Chad webinar, and I'll, I'll know. Okay, great. Thank you. I think that would be really appreciated by a lot of our participants today. Um, what about for the sure. child who says they have no homework every time the parent is asking, but then they're getting zeros on their homework assignments? Again, if this is a pattern of behavior, we've got to engage the teacher and problem solving. And I sometimes suggest have a meeting with the teacher and the student and the parent. Let there be that transparency. Right? Let everyone talk together. Because clearly, either the kid doesn't know, isn't prepared, or is being deceitful. We're not going to know if we don't have more information, and we're not going to be able to break this pattern if we don't have everyone on the same conversation. Great, thank you. I think maybe two more questions. So one is, do any of the techniques you've talked about today, do any of them work better for high school juniors and seniors who are thinking maybe some of the charts you include or just, 
I don't, their word is too babyish, but they still need some of that support. So remember what I said at the beginning about independence, right? It's not about independence. It's about being response able. You can make it however you want. These are not, um, these are real tools. And in fact, I think they're even stronger tools for the high school kids, because what we're saying is, how are you going to be responsible and manage your time? Because we want you to be ready for that next event in your life, whether it's college or some other job, you're going to need to know how to manage your time. And this is how to help you do that. Look at your overall calendar. Many adults have calendars. I mean, I have a calendar I have, right? I, I, I plan out my day the same as I'm suggesting the kids do. Great, thank you. And then our last question today, we have a parent who, I'm sure many parents who have multiple children and some, one has ADHD and one doesn't have ADHD. So would you set up different homework systems for each child or how, how do you help parents um, when they have more than one child? Honestly, I think that the homework system that I set up and that I've presented here today is really for all children. And I've talked to many, you know, in schools and for parent groups about homework management. And I don't really distinguish between how to manage it for kids with ADHD and kids without. The Pomodoro technique is something that executives and corporations use, right? So all of these things, I think, are just for everyday people. They just are even more necessary for people with ADHD. People with ADHD do need more of the support. They just do, but the techniques are the same. This is all the time we have for our webinar today. Thank you, Cindy, for such a wonderful okay. presentation. And thank you to all of our participants for taking the time to join us. ADHD challenges continue into adulthood for 35 to 65 percent of children with ADHD. Finding strengths, building resilience, and learning to self-advocate will improve your child's chances of succeeding in college, vocational school, or the workforce. Learn how to prepare your child for life beyond high school at www.helpforadhd.org. That's www.help and the number 4, ADHD.org.